Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. While I take a break and get season 19 ready, I figured this is a great opportunity to introduce you to a podcast that I personally love. This is an episode from the podcast Into the Free hosted by my good friend, Shannon LeGrow. If you like what you hear, be sure to head on over and subscribe to Into the Fray wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find their links in the show notes of this episode. I'll be seeing you real soon for season 19 of the Believe Paranormal and UFO podcast. With infinite complacency, people went to and fro the earth about their little affairs serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, binning fragment of solar driftwood which by chance or design man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yeah, and I have to say, I'm pretty darn excited because I think this is the, by far, the most recent encounter that I've ever spoken to somebody about. So, I'm very excited. Okay, yeah, well, it was uh, just just a week ago today, so yeah. Yeah, it's quite fresh in your mind, I would say, you and all all your friends. Uh, So, well, yeah, let's, let's start off, Brandon, of course, with where you're at. And you don't have to, this is up to you. I know you've heard the show before. This is up to you as far as how specific you want to be with, you know, exactly where you were or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you don't mind saying the, the Anaconda uh, mountain range, which, by the way, look that up. And I was stunned at how gorgeous it is up there. Yeah, no, and I, I certainly don't mind using the region. And uh, I, I've got no privacy concerns there. So, okay, uh, you know, that's yeah. Uh, and no, it really is. The, the Pindlers there are a pretty incredible range. So I do a whole lot of trail running up in there and, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful spot to be. And I saw that it's called Anaconda, uh, dash, uh, Pintler, it, but most of you guys up there call it Pintler mountain range. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in the Sapphires, so I'm just a little bit, my, my off grid property, I'm, uh, about a, half hour to the north and east of the Pintler range. Yeah, I think locally it would just be the Pintlers. Okay. Yeah, beautiful up there. Stunning. So this is a very interesting encounter. So I'm going to let you take the reins and I will, I'll zip it up. And, uh, you know, whenever you're, you're kind of finished, I'll make my notes and then we can, we can chat about it. Yeah. 
Uh, well, so I live um, in off grid in the Sapphire Mountain Range along Rock Creek in southwestern Montana. And uh, right near my range of the Sapphires to the south is the Pintler Range. And I've done a whole lot of trail running, a whole lot of backpacking over the years in that range. And uh, this is the first time anything's happened that I just can't explain by some natural way. And so uh, myself and two friends, Abby and Ray, uh, uh, it was just last weekend on Saturday, we uh, had a late start, but we were planning to um, skin in on our skis and get up to the Carp Lake up in the Pintlers. And um, there's some little snowballs up there, some little fingers of snow. We all wanted to get some last of the season skiing in. And uh, so we parked, uh, Ray parked his truck. Uh, we ended up, the, the, the forest road was had some snowpack on it still. So we ended up having to ski in about four miles to the trailhead. And uh, the first two miles of it, um, we were on our skis and Ray was on his snowshoes and, uh, we eventually got off the snowpack to where it's the South facing aspect of the hill. And we're looking up into the basin that we wanted to ski into. And so then we took off all our gear and then hiked in by foot the last two miles or so to the carp Lake trailhead. We, at that point decided, um, it was getting into the evening at that point, and we decided that we would camp at the trailhead and then just hike in with our gear and ski in with our gear uh, the last couple miles the next day up to the Carp Lake Basin. The, the first oddity that at the time I didn't even really notice, and I should have noticed it, when we got to the trailhead, the, the woods were dead silent. And we got to the trailhead, of, it was about 5.30 or so. The woods were dead silent. No birds. Um, it's a little early in the season for insects, but there were no bugs or anything, no crickets, um, no squirrels or chipmunks chattering. And that just shouldn't be, you know, on a, on a bluebird sunny day, you know, 60 degrees out um, in the in the springtime. So anyhow, we uh, made camp at this trailhead. It's sort of a broad clearing, and then it has a little copse of trees in the center of this trailhead where people can turn, drive around the whole loop. And we made camp, had dinner. Ray says uh, that it's at when we, basically when we got to the trailhead, he had just an immediate gut sense of some kind of foreboding. And he didn't say anything to us and he kept it to himself. Um, I didn't know this until after. And I don't know if it you know, necessarily has bearing on this or not, but I do tend to trust gut instinct anymore we after dinner uh, abby had a has a tin whistle that she takes backpacking and so we all kind of dooted around and played some songs on the tin whistle sometime around six o'clock or so we still have really good light for the you know just kind of early spring or late spring early summer i actually there's a point right around this time when i heard about five minutes or so of some kind of infrasound at first, I thought that it was some large diesel engine low idling uh, many miles away, but it was totally constant, no variation, and I almost felt it more than heard it. I just kind of 
wrote it off and chalked it up to wind through this rocky mountain basin that we're in. So anyhow, we uh, played a little more on the tin whistle. And then just to the east of camp, um, there's the tree line starts. And this forest in here is uh, kind of a, a really thick dog hair forest. So it's a lot of lodgepole, balsam fir, spruce, and some dug fir. And uh, most of the trees are somewhere between 30 and 40 feet tall and really thick as well. To the east of where we made camp around an old fire ring, uh, I would say maybe 50 feet into the trees, we just heard a double knock. And both of, I had my dog with me, a border collie. And uh, Abby had her dog as well. He's a retriever setter mix. Both of the dogs, they went to the east side of our camp and just stood there looking warily into the trees, but they weren't alarmed or anything. They just were kind of wary. So we kind of, we talked for a little bit about what kind of a bird that had to have been. And I assumed a flicker or maybe it was a, a squirrel or something. And, you know, I've, I've grown up running around the Montana woods and I've lived off grid for 10 years now, pretty in, in what most people would call a pretty remote areas. And, uh, I, I know the woods pretty well and I know animal noises pretty well, but then things really started to get weird because about five minutes after that first knock, same thing, right from the East of us, there was a second double knock. It was the exact same consistency of the first knock we all just kind of wrote it off as being a flicker or a squirrel or something at this point i went down to the creek which is about three quarter miles south of this trailhead and abby and ray went to the east right into where the knocks were coming from and they were starting to gather some firewood ray at this point said that while he was gathering firewood he was he was kind of in the immediate vicinity of where the first knocks were occurring and he says that he heard some slight footfalls and saw a little bit of movement through the brush to the north of him uh maybe within 10 or 15 feet of where he was at Mm. but it was too obscured by all that dog hair trees that he had no way to know what that could have been so we we all gathered back at camp had the water had some firewood we set up our bed rolls around the fire pit and uh, Ray started cutting firewood. Abby started sorting some gear into her tent. About seven o'clock now, then I heard a distant idling motor. And there was somebody had been able to get their Toyota pickup over all that rotten snowpack that we'd skied over. Um, and two guys in the Toyota pickup had dr- dr- drove into the loop. Uh, we all just greeted each other. Um, my dog went and said hi. And then the guys drove off again back out of the trailhead. They drove back up the road to where it turns from running out to the west to where it runs uh, north and east into where all the snowpack was. And um, somewhere from up on that little top turn there is where they, they started doing some target shooting for about 10 minutes or so. During all the time that they'd come in and the time that they were shooting, there were no more tree knocks at all. But immediately after we heard them start up their engine, you know, they're still two miles distant, but it echoed pretty well down to where we were at. And so 
once they left and we didn't hear them anymore, then the tree knocks began again. Same exact thing to the east, somewhere in the trees, just a double knock. Right after that double knock uh, to the southeast of our camp, and this one sounded like it was way further away, maybe 150 feet into the trees, uh, came another double knock. And both of the dogs started, they just started circling our camp in about a 30 foot radius or 30 foot uh, diameter. I've never, you know, I've been with my dog. We've, you know, I, I do ranch work. I work in the woods and I've had him, we've been in the woods, you know, for basically his whole life and my whole life. And um, I've never, ever seen him act like that before. So they just, both dogs, uh, my dog, Rhett, and Abby's dog, Flint, they just were circling our camp, looking warily out into the trees. Then about every three to five minutes after this point, um, there's this tree knocking, the same double knocks to the east, to the southeast of us in the trees. And then it started happening to the north of us in the trees pretty close actually felt it sounded like it had to be about 30 feet away. The the dogs were just kind of not, not running, but trotting in a circle around us and just looking warily out into the trees. And then occasionally when the double knocks happened, the dogs would rush out right to the edge of the tree line and stare into the trees at where the knocks were coming from. And then they would come right back and keep circling. Is it dark at this point, Brandon? No, it's still uh, uh, kind of later in the evening at this point. Okay. So we still have just the littlest amount of, of sunlight um, kind of hitting into this little basin here. And so, uh, you know, we, we had at this point, I, we started kind of musing about what these, this thing was going on. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm realizing that this cannot be a flicker because it's so coordinated and intelligent. And so, you know, Abby kept trying to rationalize it away to, oh, it must be, uh, you know, a squirrel, or it must be some chipmunks, or it must be uh, porcupines, or she just kept getting kind of wilder and wilder with what animal it had to be. At some point, she mentioned, you know, mountain lions or bears. And, you know, I I know, because I've had you know, with, with doing um, trail running all over the mountains for uh, most of my life and backpacking. And I, I've had encounter after encounter after encounter, dozens of encounters with bears, with mountain lions and other animals in the woods. And I know exactly how my dog Rhett behaves when he when, when there's a bear in the vicinity, when there's a lion in the vicinity, I know I can recognize his bark. I can recognize his behavior. And this behavior was totally new. And so despite this new behavior, we all kept trying to rationalize away what this was. I started actually double knocking with a rock on, on the fire ring rock every time that we'd have that first East knock happen. And there was never something that I would have called a reply to that knock. So it's getting a little bit darker now coming into dusk. And um, we're all getting a little more nervous about this. The dog's behavior is just off, totally wrong. And 
and the knocks have continued now basically every three to five minutes. And it's always to the east, to the southeast, to the north. Very occasionally, we could also hear just the, or um, we could almost feel in the ground reverberating. The, it felt like the slightest movement or footfalls and hear the little bit of rustling in the trees. And accordingly, where the knocks were coming from would shift with a little bit of that movement. However, the knocks kept coming from uh, the general area to the east, to the southeast, and to the north of us. So at this point, uh, Abby started to get you know, even more wild with the animals. Oh, it has to be a badger, a wolverine. Uh, she's just trying to find anything that can rationalize it away. And I, you know, I kept mentioning how unlikely I find that to be, especially how coordinated this is. And at this point, I, 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 I you know, I, I said how crazy it seems, but I've heard of Bigfoot encounters where tree knocking was how things started. And so then, uh, Abby and I kind of mused about cryptids and some of that for a little while. Uh, at this point, I'm pretty sure Ray, he was really feeling a sense of, of doom because he wasn't very talkative and he, he was pretty nervous about everything going on. Um, sometime in here, it has to be probably around 8.30 or so, there came the same east double knock, southeast double knock, northeast double knock and again this whole time the dogs have just been circling camp trotting around looking out into the trees right after those three sets of knocking in the copse of trees that's in the middle of this trailhead loop to the west of us which is where we came in from there came this huge loud vocalization and it was sort of i guess i'll try to mimic it here i don't know how it'll come through on the auto but it was sort of <clears throat> And the dogs totally lost their minds and ran right up to the edge of that copse of trees, just barking in a, in a violent way that I've never, ever heard my dog bark before. Then pretty soon after, they came back and just started circling camp in an even more agitated way. And uh, at this time, I... I tried to rationalize it. And I think I said as much was, Oh, that kind of sounded like a, uh, it almost sounded like a bear before it sort of makes a bluff charge. Mm -hmm. And, but I also, I also knew that that's a stretch because for one, Rhett's behavior around bear, I would recognize and uh, he would, uh, he, he has a very certain behavior around bear that he was not doing here. And his bark wasn't a bear alert. And so I still, ration, I still rationalized it away as a bear because at the same time, I was thinking like this, this cannot be a, a Bigfoot encounter, even with the tree knocking and the sort of intelligence that seems to be going on here. Uh, it just, this cannot be happening. This is absurd. It has to have a natural explanation. So now about every three to five minutes, the same knocking would occur from the same east, southeast, north. And then from that little copse of trees, and the dogs would again just lose their minds and go violently barking, but they would not enter that copse of trees. They would stand right at the edge of it, looking into it, just barking violently. 
And so I actually got up from camp and at this point we're getting pretty well into dusk. It's get, so I took uh, my headlamp, which is the light I have. I also have a, a, a belt light that I carry, but it, it, the, it was weaker than my headlamp. Uh, so I just used my headlamp and I walked around the entire copse of trees around this loop of the trailhead and looking into it with the headlamp and the dogs were sticking right at my heels looking into the trees and I saw nothing at all but the, the dogs wouldn't enter the trees but they still were staring into it as though something was there and then uh you know I, I got back fire ring and we all sat right there right around the fire on our bedrolls and we kept trying to rationalize what was going on um i made some fur needle tea we had some dessert we keep rationalizing what's going on that this is this is just something strange but it, you know you know i don't know it, it i kept telling myself that that it, it would be absurd for this to be the tree knocking I've heard of in, in the, you know, alleged encounters mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And because, you know, what I kept telling myself was, well, I haven't smelled anything. You know, I, I would smell something really just smells like, you know, dumpster and corpse and, and rotten stench or, you know, just uh, there would be rocks being thrown or I just kept trying to explain it away. And, and also just totally disbelieving that that could even be possible to happen you know, while this is going on again for about the next hour or so as darkness came down on us, the same exact behavior, the double knocks would move a little bit through the trees. We could hear the very slightest amount of movement and it would go the east knock, the southeast knock, the north knock, and then the and the same thing, the dogs the whole time circling camp trotting around it, looking warily out in the woods. And then when the chuff would happen to the West, they would just go violently barking that way. At some point around 9.30 or so, now we're getting into darkness pretty well into it. Um, the footfalls and the rustling uh, seemed to move a whole lot closer in the trees. And it almost sounded like it was just inside the trees from our camp. And so I used my headlamp and shined it into the trees. Uh, but all there was, all I could see was thick trees, nothing at all. And then at this time as well, the thing, the, the, whatever was chuffing at us to the West also moved closer. And it was on the Eastern edge of this little copse of trees, uh, as close to camp as it could have been. We three started talking about the possibility of leaving or in for the night and uh ray he was ready to leave right now don't even pack anything up let's just get the hell out and abby was uncertain and i was still a little bit baffled uh a little bit exhilarated even just from this total strange thing going on i i recognized that this seemed like bigfoot behavior that i'd heard in people's alleged encounters that I've, you know, I've, I've listened for a while to your podcast and some other ones out there. I just kept rationalizing to myself that that cannot possibly be happening because I've, it, it, it just can't be. So, and at this time also, I still, I considered, let's just say it is a Bigfoot encounter. So far, they're just knocking and making some noise at us. 
And I, I consider this to be very, rather curious behavior rather than an outright threat. You know, we didn't have boulders being thrown into camp. We didn't have trees being knocked down, that kind of stuff. And so I considered that we could stay the night and just dig in and, and not, and, uh, and it'd be fine. Now, once I got home, looking back on this, I'm pretty certain that, uh, we were being hunted as though we were deer to be flushed from our camp. Uh, there was, you know, the East knock, the Southeast knock and the North knock all in a basket around us. We're saying, you know, I'm ready and in position. And then in those three likely paths of flight, then from the West comes a noise that would or should flush us into those trees. So I think we were being treated as though we were deer to be flushed into the bush, um, which at that point makes me no longer consider this a curious behavior, but a lot more threatening. You know, night continued to fall and the behavior kept seeming like it was getting closer and closer to us. And right around 10, 15 or so, uh, Ray stands up and he says, I can't sleep here tonight. We have to leave now. And Abby conceded that, yes, that sounds good to me. And I mentioned that hiking out four to five miles in the snowpack in the dark was going to really, really suck. But I agreed that I think uh, uh, hiking out was going to be the best option. Because at this point, the same behavior has continued the entire time. The dog's behavior hasn't changed. And the, the creatures seem to be descending closer upon us. And so we all packed up camp as swiftly as we could, you know, no organization to it, just jam everything in our packs. And um, we all tied our skis and gear onto our packs. And at this point, the chuffing noise to the west of us stopped. And the dogs just continued to circle camp nervously. And then here's where to the southwest by maybe a half mile, I heard a really, we all heard a, a really loud Kind of a noise. It almost sounds like a giant tropical bird. That's actually a noise I've heard before, but we can talk about that after I get through this encounter. Um, so Abby and Ray were fiddling the last of some of the gear on, and I was doing a sweep of camp, just sure we didn't leave anything behind on the ground. And I was standing to the east of them, very close to the tree line where the east knocks were coming from and so here's where uh i heard the east knock as close as it had ever been yet basically felt like it was just inside the trees probably 20 feet from where i was standing and i looked up and before my headlamp even hit the trees i saw uh, a large pair of super wide set just circular deep red glowing eyes and from where I was standing it looks like they were about 10 to 12 feet off the ground and then my headlamp hit the eyes and the eyes kind of glinted or uh, luminesced but it stayed red all, all, all otherwise that I could see in my headlamp was just th this vestige of a super broad wide humanoid face there was no other no other features that I could discern from it. And right then, 
I just said, no, 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 guys, we have to go now. Let's go, go, go. And I actually came up to Abby and Ray and just started pushing on their packs. And because right when I saw those eyes, that's when a total sense of, of at doom just sort of hit me. So I came and I pushed Abby and Ray forward to the west. And I just said, fiddle with your packs as we go. We have to go right now. And um, they both started to walk, but they kept insisting on what had happened. What did you see? What What's going on? And I told them, you guys do not want to know. I don't want to ever think about it. We need to go. Just trust me. Just walk. Abby kept insisting that they're out here in the woods with me in this strange things going on that they deserve to know what I had seen or heard or whatever. So I kept telling her that they do not want to know, but uh, just, just go. Cause I don't even want to think about what I just seen. Uh, Abby insisted. So finally I just uh, told them about these glowing red eyes on a massive dark humanoid face at what was an impossible height inside the trees, just outside of where we were standing. I considered the pistol that I carry and Ray had his pistol as well. But after seeing this vague sense of the creature's size and having that doom just kind of hit me, I, I decided that whether it was a warning shot or whether I tried to shoot whatever this was, that it would just escalate the situation. And I, it felt like to me that there was no way I would even bother uh, because a nine millimeter would be like, shooting an airsoft gun at whatever the hell I just seen. So Ray took the lead of the group and he says right at this point, he felt just this oppressive threat of whatever was around us mounting to higher than it had ever been yet. And so he just shut down all consideration of everything going on and he just booked it hiking out fast. And he tucked his head and he says he kept his headlamp on the road, just trying to tunnel vision and hike out. And Abby took the middle and uh, she, as we were going, mentioned how, you know, she works in mines and geology. And so she's I'm down in mining tunnels at, in the dark. And she said, you know, how one must not entertain thoughts of creepy things in the darkness, that you have to just do the task at hand, uh, keep your headlamps on the road ahead, refuse to look into the trees. So that's probably good advice, really, for what we were doing here just mm -hmm. to go and i took the tail of the group and despite the doom that i got after seeing those glowing eyes i was still at the same time totally baffled by just how uh how surreal all of this was and i i almost couldn't believe that this was actually happening that i, I didn't want to believe that i'd just seen whatever this figure was that massive um, so I actually kept occasionally looking back behind us and I was hearing, all of us were hearing to the sides of us in the woods, the slightest footfalls or rustling, the very slightest noise on both sides of the road. So about 10 feet off into the brush. And again, this is some, is still thick dog hair forest every time I would look back or look into the brush on the sides or hear this rustling, all I would see was the same glowing red eyes and just the vestige of this humanoid face. 
And whether it was on the hill above the road or on the hill below the road, they always looked like they were 10 or 12 feet off the ground. So looking on the hill above us here, looking right at our group is something that almost looks like it's 30 feet above us because it's way up on the hill. And then, of course, looking off to the hill below us, I just keep seeing these same eyes. They're basically, even though they seem to be, you know, 10 feet deep in the forest, the eyes are basically at my height or taller. And so I, at this point, I just said, guys, we have to go faster. I do not want to creep us all out any more than this whole night has been, but we are being followed. We're being flanked on both sides by whatever these are. And I tried to push a little bit further, push a little bit faster. And we, we had a pretty brisk hike going out. Um, but it didn't feel fast enough because here were these things just following us on both sides of the road. Um, my dog, he was about 50 yards ahead leading the group um, up on the top end of Ray's headlamp. And then uh, he would occasionally come back, check on the group and just run ahead. Flint, Abby's dog, uh, he trotted just ahead of Ray most of the way out. And occasionally he'd work back to where I was. And uh, at this point, neither of the dogs even seemed to pay much attention. They were wary to the forest on either side, but they mostly just were going. There were a couple points that seemed rather, well, seemed really strange to me and even more strange after the whole encounter. Uh, Flint would come back by me and he would look out to the, to either side of the road and he would almost seem to just be paralyzed for a moment until Abby or I would, you know, call, Hey Flint, come on boy. And uh, get him like, it just sort of broke him from whatever he, whatever he was seeming paralyzed with. So again, I, I just continued to hear these little t slightest noise and nothing can be that silent in dog hair forest. It's just, there's no way that something could be that silent, but so I can't explain that at all, but the eyes also, they almost seemed like they were sort of just floating because they would, they would move properly between branches and trunks and stuff and reappear and stuff. As I would watch, I kept telling them, we got to go faster. They're still following us. But eventually Ray and Abby both said, uh, Brandon, don't tell us anymore. When you see it, we don't want to know. Uh, I can't know about it. Is mm. what they told me. And so we eventually got to where the road turns from a west running where it was all melted out of the snow to then we head northeast on this forest road and it's back into the deep snow right about that point the the highest point to the north of us here is a big knoll and from the top of the knoll several times came the same whooping call oh kind of a noise when we heard that that kind of even more so than the creepiness of everything going on, raised the hair on the back of our necks even more. Uh, somewhere right about where we turned and started walking on the snow, um, something huge passed right behind us. And all of us, I was pretty tight up against Abby's pack and she was tight at Ray's pack at this time. And the dogs were ahead. Something passed right past over past my right shoulder, past Abby and Ray's right shoulder, and into the forest on the other side of the road. And we all caught this 
rush of, of hot air and just skunky body odor. And um, Abby is still trying to rationalize these, whatever is going on to something normal and explainable. And um, she actually told her dog, Hey Flint, stay away from that skunk. Mm. And I, I would just like, I, I almost laughed because even with everything crazy, creepy and, and, ominous going on right now because it's just like there there was no way that was a skunk unless the skunk is 12 feet tall so i actually said something like i said something about like you know of of you know that that was not a skunk abby that that was something far more than a skunk and um i can't explain how it's possible because it felt like and by the, the body heat and the odor it it basically was almost rubbing shoulders with us is what it felt like. Um, but in our headlamps, we saw not a thing. And so I, I cannot explain how that's possible. I have no idea. Um, but uh, we, we just continued briskly going. And uh, we thought about maybe putting our gear on to actually get out a little faster on all the crusty snow now. But we decided that none of us were willing to sit there and strap on our gear and, and wait here in the woods any longer. We'll just hike right through and post hole in the snow. We made it the next, you know, basically uh, two miles or so out to Ray's truck. And the whole entire time, I keep hearing this just the very slightest noise to either side of us. And uh, every time I look, there's those same red eyes just kind of floating through the forest. Uh, we got to the truck and we threw our packs in. We got in. As we started driving, uh, Ray said that even though we were, as he considered it, safe back in the truck and driving out, that he still was just in this tunnel vision, watch the road, do not look at anything else, do not think about anything else. And Abby, Again, she's a fairly scientific mind, uh, being uh, with her geology and, and all of her work in that kind of field. And um, she was trying to convince us, oh, we just encountered just an overzealous bear. And she was trying to find a non kooky explanation for what we just experienced. So that's uh, that's the end of it. We that's. Uh, that's the encounter. So I did go back the next day and I can talk more about that. But first, if you have, I guess if you have any questions or something. Holy cow. Um, that was like, I mean, I didn't realize it was two miles. It's like two miles of terror from what it sounds like the well, walk it was, out. It, it was two miles on the snow and it was about another two, two and a half uh, <gasps> on just the dirt road. So it was about four and a half miles total or so. And they were with you the entire time. The entire time, yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot. Uh, this is... Okay, yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes. Uh, and again, thank you for going through that. The the eyes. I'm just trying to uh -huh. make sure that I'm understanding the eye situation on the way out. Was it still just the one pair of eyes that you kept seeing or you saw... A pair of eyes on this side of the road and also on the other side of the road at some points. Yeah, I, uh, the entire time, uh, there were times where I actually turned around and just walked backward because I kept in my, 
just I felt the the hair rising sensation and I just was like I don't want something to suddenly grab me from behind kind of a thing and so I actually at certain points I was turned around walking backward and looking at them both on either side of the road here's two sets or two uh, uh here's two eyes on this side of the road here's two eyes on that side of the road all just boring right into us nice. and I mean I the the, the eyes looks like they have to have been somewhere around five inches in diameter or so, or even six inches. They were huge and totally circular and they looked like they were super wide set, you know, a foot or more apart. Just huge. Oh my gosh. Did Ray or Abby ever see the eyes or were they trained forward? Yeah. Ray, the moment, we started hiking out he had such a sense of oppressing danger and 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 something coming uh that that he said he just tunnel visioned it and he never looked into the woods and he didn't want to see and uh he he knew that basically if he because he because i had told them and then you know he, he basically decided for himself that if if he saw what i was describing to them and by the uh, quaver in my voice from what I was seeing that he would probably have lost it and just started to run mm-hmm. and panic. And so he decided that he was not ever going to look and he was just going to hike out. And Abby, she did exactly how she had said from the start was just look at the road. Do not think about what this is going on. Do not entertain thoughts of any of the creepiness. Just go. And, uh, so yeah, but, it was the, but to get back to your original question, oh, there was one on each side of the road, so far as I can tell. And then of course, whatever one way up on the knoll high above with its whooping call. I can appreciate Ray and Abby's perspective because they were still, even though you guys were having essentially the same experience, yours was definitely elevated from Ray and Abby's because you saw the face at least the size of the face, you saw the eyes the whole time. So I can appreciate why they were like, okay, Brandon, please stop telling us what you're seeing. Let's just focus here. And that just, sorry, still to stay in the eyes. Did they blink at any point or the only motion was when you, you, you kind of said they look like they were floating because they were moving, but were they blinking? I, I never saw any blinking at all. Uh, they, they, they simply would kind of um, pass behind trunks and branches and stuff and just looked as they were floating. I never saw blinking whatsoever. Yeah, that's interesting. I hear that quite a bit. They can just kind of sit there and have their eyes wide open. They, they'd win a staring contest, that's for sure. Ugh. Um, Ugh. Yeah. So the obvious thing here that I'll get in trouble if I don't ask is mm-hmm. what you mentioned about when whatever it was, as you said that Abby said the twelve foot tall skunk. When this thing goes right by you guys, besides the fact that the oh and all right, let me separate these two before I make this into a huge amalgamation mess. Um, <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. So I was walking by you. Do you think that? And you are so right because if that close, you can feel the heat, the body heat, and and the air of it going by you, and you can hear it. Or at least some shuffling or something. Do you think that you were just that focused forward, all of you, 
I mean, that would be so very strange, though, for all three of you, I, maybe, to be that focused. But what do you make of that? Because that is very, very strange. That's a strange aspect to the story, that it got that close. And that's very ballsy of it, by the way. Not that I think it was scared in any way, shape, or form. But right. it got so close to you guys. What do you make of that? Um. I Well, one, I, I flat don't know what to make of that. I... I think it I think it perhaps lends some credibility to the theory that uh whatever these creatures are or whatever they were either uh are are such masters of stealth that they are only seen when they want to be seen or that I mean I guess I'm I'm very open to the explanation that they are somewhat multidimensional um, or perhaps some kind of, uh, I'm not specifically religious, but it almost lends some credibility in my mind and the sense of doom from seeing those eyes. And that's what's going to haunt me the most from this uh, and has been is it almost lends some credibility to the idea that there's some kind of uh, demonic vestiges in whatever these are. So uh, I don't know, though. I don't know how that's possible that something could have traveled that close to us and we saw nothing at all. And here's the other part that I didn't want to plow right into that that question. Good answer, by the way, because, mm-hmm. I mean, we we don't know. And that is just such a strange thing to have it go that close to all three of you. The eyes, the actual glowing mm-hmm. of the eyes. Because at first I thought, okay, well, you have your headlamp on and you admitted that was a stronger light than the one that, you know, you're, the one you carry. I thought, okay, so you've got some eye shine going on here. But then you said that it, it was prior to you actually even, I, I think, bringing your headlamp up that the eyes were already glowing. And was the campfire big or out at that point? Or were were you guys already packed up and the campfire was, was done? But that I kind of answered my own question because they were glowing as you guys are walking out too, weren't they? Yeah, well, and, and it, uh, I guess to clarify it, no, they, they had their own glow without my headlamp whatsoever. From, um, from within? So, yes, correct. There was, it was a, a deep, deep red, sort of uh, lusterless, not shiny or anything. If my headlamp, when, I, when my headlamp would hit the eyes, that's when they would sort of glint or glitter or luminous. But other than that, they were just a, a lusterless glow. Like they wouldn't, if his face was, maybe it was, if his face is right next to a tree, it wouldn't cast off any glow in a weird way, right? Uh, no, not not so far as I can tell. Right. Yeah, not so far as I, yeah. So we're talking about a mammal. Uh, of course, there's lots of creatures in the ocean that are self-bioluminescent. There we go. There's that word. How in the world is a mammal going to execute that, and where did he get that from? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, I, I can't answer that. I, I certainly know that that from all of my bear and lion encounters in the dark and in the light, um, th- this these were not eyes of any any Montana creature that I know of whatsoever. And 
behavior as well between as so far as I can tell when we were in camp there were at least four creatures three of them doing knocking and the one doing the the chuff noise and then perhaps one quite a ways distant doing the whoop I don't know but that just the behavior was was so intelligent that I cannot just explain this away to being you know, a rapid bear or, or a, a, a group of mountain lions kind of a thing. You know, it's just I, that cannot, that is not a sufficient ex- explanation for me. That's a perfect segue. That's right where I was going to go is when you guys realized you were surrounded. And I also realized that Abby the, the entire time was kind of like, oh, no, this is this or that or, you know, this other thing. But it seems like maybe you and Ray were kind of the ones that are going, this is kind of a a crazy serious situation and like you said it was almost tactical in the way that they were surrounding you guys so every three to five minutes you'd have knock knock and then a three to five minute knock knock three to five minute knock knock three to five minute this chuffing gentleman or Mm -hmm. female whatever it was right was that the pattern the whole time the entire time it was a double knock from the uh, east of us then a double knock from the southeast, then a double knock from the north, all basically one right after the other. Right. And then that chuff from the west. Mm. Yeah, I. it just seems like after a couple of those, you'd be going, uh-oh, uh, what in the hell is this? The the chuffer, uh, he got really close at one point. Well, I always say he, but you know what I mean. He, we'll just call yeah. it a he. Um, did he sound big? Um, it, it sounded quite large. Yes. Um, the, the, uh, I guess I, I never got from, cause that was besides the distant, uh, whoop or, or tropical bird sounding noise. I, there was no other vocalizations beside, so far as I know, the tree knocks were actual tree knocks. Uh, but this was the only other vocalization close. I never got the feeling, you know, some people in their encounters, they describe uh, feeling it almost rattle their bones. And um, I never got that feeling from it. It just was a, and it, it sounded huge, but I never got it. It never felt like it was rattling my bones or anything. If that gives it a better uh, description of amplitude. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That's perfect. Can you, uh, going back to the face, I know you didn't really see any details, but mm-hmm. you seem pretty good about, you know, uh, measurements and height and weight and things. How far across do you think that face was? Or how how long? You know, either way, how um, big was it? The eyes looked like they were about, 12 inches apart or more and the face after that it looked like the eyes were super wide set um at the very you know periphery of the face itself and so you know let's say you know a foot wide head but then super long and and maybe i don't know with only the vestige of it or the idea of it in the darkness um you know maybe a foot wide by about two feet long kind of a thing at most just huge, massive head. Oh my gosh! So the eyes around ten to twelve inches apart. That's what they looked like, yeah. And ten to twelve feet off the ground. I mean, correct. The, the, when this... we returned, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
Oh, when we returned the next day, we actually took, uh, uh, I had Ray, um, also when we returned the next day, just a real quick aside, normal, it was the same weather as the other, the, the previous day, but it was all normal woods noises, squirrels, chipmunks, jays, warblers, uh, uh, um, everything, normal woods noises. Uh, but Ray, I had him take a stick and he put his hat on top of it. And then he went to exactly where I had seen those eyes, the first set. And he raised that stick in the air to where it was, you know, with the trees right next to it. And then we measured out the height at when I recognized at the proper height. And it actually measured out from the ground uh, about 12 to 13 feet, somewhere in there. Oh, my gosh. Um, so. Huge, huge. And that was something I had written down was, were you guys armed and I mean, what you said is just so spot on that I've said it before. Others have said it before. I don't know if you heard Carrie Arnold's encounter, but, you know, he had a hunting rifle and he's like, I don't even know if I would want to get into it with this thing. And he had a hunting rifle, you know. So, yeah, if you you have if I had my nine millimeter out there, I'd be going, well, may as well have a fly swatter. Right. Right. And yeah, it, it, I, I had a moment after I'd seen the eyes and we started walking um, I had a moment thinking of, well, I have my pistol, Ray's got his, but it just, all I could think was that's not an option because this would be like an airsoft gun against whatever I just saw. And, uh, if I, I don't remember if Kerry Arnold's account, uh, was one where he had almost raised the rifle up and then the creature gave a big, like, no, uh, if that was the one, yeah, I do. I, I can, my feelings accord with his. Well, it almost seems like you've got the two and nine millimeters raised in the front. You're in the back. Even if you had only one of these creatures, it's a long shot that you're getting out of there if it decided to charge you and you had to pull your weapons. But you had four. Yeah, and I, I, I basically I consider that uh, if I figured if we got rushed by something, then, of course, I would try to shoot at it. But besides that, then no way was I going to even entertain the idea that my pistol could do anything. You know, I, I mean, I, I carry every day in the ranch work I do or in uh, my trail running because, again, I run into a lot of bears out there. I run into a lot of lions. Um, thankfully, I've never had to shoot any of them, but uh, I do carry all the time out there. So, Did either one of you guys ever go for the gun, even put your hand on your on your waist or wherever you you carry that thing? Nope, because that's that's where when I had made the decision that no way this would be like an airsoft gun against whatever Mm -hmm. I just saw. uh, I I just I didn't, you know, I, I, you know, kind of readjusted it on my my uh, belt or something. But that's about the most of it. When it was it was basically it was it was small comfort to even know that I had it. Right. That really is a terrifying situation. Uh, it was one thing to read it in the email, but to hear you say it, uh, I, I can't. I really can't imagine going through that. And we'll get into the questions later about how you feel about it mm-hmm. now. But um, the infrasound that lasted the five minutes, mm-hmm. that initial right. kind of weirdness. What did Ray and Abby say about that? Or they just assumed it was, in fact, a, a motor of, of something running far away? Uh, Ray actually... Ray looked at me and he said, do you, do you hear a, a vehicle? And I said, I, I think maybe I do, but it sounds so distant 
that and it, and it, and then you know it was that was kind of all all that we ever said about it. Uh, I don't know if Abby heard it or even cared. Uh, but again, I, I chalked it up to eh, you know, and I said as much to Ray that eh, it's probably just wind blowing through the canyon or something. You know, I've I've heard of infrasound blowing through rocky canyons, just how the wind and the rocks or something. Now maybe that's a poor explanation for what it is, but uh, it was still something that was notable. Well, yeah, considering everything else that went on uh, quite soon after, right? Did the dogs react to that initial, what we're assuming is infrasound? Uh, I mean, my dog might have, I don't remember. Uh, he might have stopped and listened, but that's the mm-hmm. most I could picture. Yeah. I, I don't remember. No, no, that's okay. No, and I, I appreciate the honesty. What is a tin whistle? Is that a harmonica? No, it's it's basically a, a really small, it almost is like a, a piccolo kind of a uh. instrument, uh, a, a little tiny flute. But it, it, again, it, it packs so small that, you know, w- we all play instruments, but uh, none of Ray or mine can we pack into the woods very easily. And uh, so Abby, uh, she, she also plays uh, the bagpipes, but she brought the tin whistle because she can still do similar songs on it but it's very easy and light to pack. So now that's the other thing is I'm still really creeped out by the idea of ever playing the tin whistle in the woods again. (laughs) Yeah, because that's kind of what I was going for, because how long after you guys are playing this tin whistle, or not after, or even during, how long was she she playing that before that infrasound hit? Uh, We'd probably been playing for five to ten minutes. And we were passing the whistle between all of us, just dooting around on it. Probably five to ten minutes after was the infrasound. And then, you know, we had kept playing even when the knocks were going. But it, it I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to conclude that the tin whistle called something in, but it does have a pretty eerie thought to think of that doing so. Right, and now your brain has has nothing else but to connect it. So yeah, you probably, if Abby ever brought that out again, you're going to go, ah, let's hold off on the tin whistle this trip, huh? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, here I, I I do. I'm not sure. Well, we can talk. Yeah, it sounds like you have questions later about that. I, I'm not sure Abby is going to enter the woods the same way again. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. That's... Even though she's rationalized it to Aww. something uh, non kooky. Here's the other thing about the the mountain basin we were in. It's a pretty remote mountain basin. And we were for, you know, there had been people that had tried to to bomb up through that snowpack with side-by-sides or uh, vehicles. And it looked like most all of them had gotten stuck and then aborted their attempts. So uh, otherwise, in the wintertime, that trailhead sees, you know, maybe once in a while a snowmobiler that's just joyriding through and then goes back out. Otherwise, that that mountain basin is basically on its own all winter long. And so I'm certain that we were the first people to camp at that trailhead uh, with the intent of going deeper. But I kind of my, my running theory right now is that there was a group of whatever these creatures were who have been living there in this remote place all winter and had it to themselves especially with all the elk and deer, there's plentiful food in there. And so I'm kind of assuming, uh, and perhaps that's too much to assume, but I assume that they've been living there all winter with their own peace and quiet. 
Yeah, you guys screwed that right up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's, since you've already brought it up, because those are the my sometimes my biggest questions is, what did this do to you guys afterward? You already brought Abby up. What did she say? And, and of course, this is just a week ago, everybody. Uh, Brent and I, we are recording. Uh, this is June 5th. This will come out this coming Thursday. Uh, but this was just a week ago that this happened. So I know it hasn't been that long, but what has Abby said now that you guys are back home and she's processed this a little more? Let's start with Abby. Yeah, so Abby, she has said, well, one, she, she says that we just had an overzealous bear. And I have pushed back on that rather hard because of all the three of us, I have had the most encounters with bear And I also know exactly how my dog behaves around grizzly and black bear in the woods. And his behavior did not match anything I've seen before. And there's just flat no way that this was a bear uh, or that these were bears. Um, They do not travel that quietly through the woods. And bear, you know, there's, there's none of this is explainable by bear. But that's what Abby has decided it was. And basically from from that decision with us, she has decided that we just, Ray and I got spooked out and let our thoughts run wild. However, she has also said that she doesn't really want to go backpacking on overnighters ever again, that she is probably just going to do day trips. And we all three of us are, are trail runners and long distance runners. And I'm not certain at this point if she plans to alter her running uh, kind of uh, if she's going to now move more front country rather than back country um, or something like that. I don't know yet. Yeah, because if you're doing a long distance trail run, obviously you are forced then to sleep in in the bush, essentially, every single night. On a long enough run, yes, absolutely. Uh, see, I don't. that's a bummer to hear stuff like that. Uh, that's what I was wondering. Okay, so she's sticking with Bear. What does Ray say? He knows that what he's trusting his gut instinct is telling him that this was a totally new thing. And the the doom and the oppression that he felt out there, I'm pretty sure he may never, besides us going back the next day in full daylight with two other people and a German shepherd and other such, besides that, I'm not sure he's ever going to want to go back to that trailhead or that area again. Um, Now, granted, in the summertime, that trailhead is a very, very busy trailhead. Lots of horse packers, lots of hikers, um, tons of fishermen. And so in the summertime, I have to assume that these creatures move on somewhere else. But uh, I just I I can't really speak to that. I don't know. But um, I think for Ray, he's probably never going to want to go to that trailhead again. Uh, I don't know what it might change for his or my uh, backpacking adventures in the future. We also do a lot of trail running up in there. And I don't know if it, I don't know at this point for either of us, if it's going to change those habits. Um, I'm still, I still don't want to believe what happened, but I also, it would be a lot easier to talk myself out of it if I hadn't seen the eyes and known that we were being followed. Yeah, because Ray was also, even before you guys started to play the tin whistle and the infrasound and the knocks and everything else, you said that Ray 
just right off the bat, just had a really sense of something, something zicky, something's off, right? Yeah, he, he says that, this is after the fact, he told us, he said that from the very start when we got to the trailhead, he, he wanted to turn around and leave. He did not want to stay. And he, so I, you know, he, he didn't tell us then. I didn't know until after. Abby didn't know until after. But he, uh, he, uh, I mean, I, I really do trust those gut instinct kind of things anymore. And I, I kind of wish he had said something, though I'm pretty sure at that point it may not have convinced Abby or I to just turn around right then. Right. Um, All right, so I've never been to Montana. Always, always wanted to go, and I encourage everybody to look up this area that we're talking about—the uh, Pintler Mountains in Montana. Absolutely stunning area, from what I can tell. What is? And I know that you live off the grid, and I want to talk about that a little bit here in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But what's around this area? Like, what's if it, from where you guys were were at that campsite? What's the closest, like, little town or you know, houses and things like that in that area? So the, um, from this trailhead, you, you travel that road for about, oh, 14 or 15 miles and you get to the East Fork Reservoir, which is a really popular camping and hiking area in, or or a fishing area, especially in the summer. And from there, if you go about another 20 miles or so, uh, eh, 30 miles from there, then you get to the, the town of. Uh, Phillipsburg, Montana. And uh, so that's the closest town. Now, the closest um, residences are to the north of the East Fork Reservoir. So this basin is, I would say, uh, generally about 20 miles away from the nearest um, residences of of any people. And in, in that area of the East Fork, valley and everything else all of the residences tend to be uh, houses and ranches on uh, 20 acre pieces and then there's a couple thousand acre pieces in there as well so that's kind of what is in the area yeah so go into your off-grid property how close to people are you and then let's talk about the fact that you have heard those massive tropical bird sounds out at your place Right. So I'm about a 40 minute drive to the north from the East Fork Reservoir. However, my property, I'm in a, uh, a high, I'm at about 6,000 feet on my 25 acres. I have forest service on three sides. I'm kind of up in a upper little mountain valley, um, a big open about six acres or so. And then there's just big timber after that along the Creek from me, the nearest full-time neighbor is about three quarters of a mile to the North of me down the road. And um, they're about uh, maybe 700 feet lower elevation. And like I said, three quarter mile to the North. And so I'm, I'm the nearest, that's the nearest full-time residence from my place. Yeah, and how often have you heard those sounds out at your place then? Right, so for years now, I have been hearing um, more often in the winter than the summer. 
I I will in the winter time living off grid. I just have a wood stove for my heat, and so I ended it up. Um, and my cabin, so I built on a very uh, kind of a make do do without kind of a budget, and so I basically built it with a chainsaw and a broad axe. And so I am pretty close to nature there and pay attention. And so I will step out at night in the winter time, uh, go and water a bush. And then, um, quite often, maybe, oh, well, it feels like quite often once or twice a week in the winter, when I step out in the middle of the night, then I'll, you know, I'll go back in and stoke up the stove again and then go back to bed. But, uh, the moment I step outside from way up high valley above on the hillside above me will come this noise that sounds like a tropical bird, but it sounds huge, way bigger than any bird. And for, for so many years, I have considered that call to be a mountain lion because I do, there's lots of lion in, in the hills that I live in. And, uh, I've always just said it's a mountain lion. However, in talking with some of the, the, you know, uh, ranch families that I work for, or people, some of the, there's some people who hunt lion with hounds in the area talking with them nobody recognizes that call. They all say that, oh, yeah, I guess it could be a lion, but uh, nobody recognizes it uh, or can pin it down. And I have gone online and tried to find every vocalization from mountain lions possible or bobcats or foxes or, you know, pretty much anything it could possibly be. And nothing matches this sound except for i've also heard in some accounts of bigfoot encounters uh people just seem to describe sometimes a sound that sounds like a prehistoric bird or tropical bird kind of a thing Mm -hmm. um so i and i don't know that it's the same noise but either way that's the one creature that i've heard of that alleges to sound like this um so and the other thing is that after i step out in the night the call would come from way up high on my hillside. And the very first time I heard it several years ago, my dog went crazy and he ran up the hill and then he stopped and he turned around and came right back to where I was, but he's kept looking up there. And ever since then, he's basically, he'll lift up his head and be wary to it. But other than that, he won't do anything about it. It's well, like this is so also again why the explanation of mountain lion does not, is not sufficient because, and it never has been. I've always been dissatisfied with calling it a mountain lion because all the cats that we ever actually run into, Rhett will go and tree them and, uh, or he'll at least chase them off. And uh, there've been a couple times where they were actually stalking in the cats stalking in on me. And then he went and chased them off again and treed them. And his bark is very specific. And so whatever these sounds are, he doesn't act at all like he ever has for lions. So again, I've never been uh, satisfied with that explanation. And so he also, here's the other thing to it is oftentimes the call here up on the West Hill from my valley would go, would go, Whoa! and then over on the East Hill from my valley would come a return call. Whoa! And that's, I'm doing it very poor justice in my mimicry of it, but uh, anyhow, um, and then for the rest of the night, I will hear them calling back and forth. And that's not something that I would 
if someone knows more about cats, maybe they can prove me wrong, and I hope they can. But that kind of behavior, just sitting in one spot, calling to each other all night long, doesn't sound like a cat to me, not cat behavior. So that's something that I'll hear, you know, maybe once or twice a week uh, in my valley. And it's always that same sound, back and forth or singularly. Uh, sometimes it's singular, and other times there have been other noises that I just can't explain. Um, now, again, foxes can make some really strange noises, but, you know, it is, it, it's never been sufficient for me to call that specific call, this tropical bird call, a mountain lion or some other standard creature. Mm. How long have you lived in that house? Um, so I I bought that bear land about, oh, seven or eight years ago now. Um, but I have been living off grid and working on, on just kind of remote ranch work for years prior to that. So I've, But I've been in that valley for about eight years. Does it go on all year long or do you have breaks? Does it go in cycles at all? Well, so here's an interesting thing is near the end of this winter, that that call really started to ramp up and happen more often. And I just figured I want to see the cat that's making this call. And so I put up game cams up on the hillsides where I kind of generally figured these are coming from. And after I put up those game cams um, this late winter, all of the activity stopped. Now, again, I don't know that that's correlated, but it, it just stopped after I put them up. So, you know, again, I, I don't, I guess I've heard accounts where people say when they put up, you know, infrared around their house or when they put up game cams, when they put up things like that, then the activity lessened or stopped that mm -hmm. they were having. So. And are those game cams still up right now? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And I do, that's the, the I, I have uh, caught, you know, mostly I just see deer on them, but I do, you know, I have seen, you know, bear and lion on them as well. So uh, that's where it doesn't, it's, you know, that's where the lion thing isn't really sufficient an answer for me for these calls. Again, that's totally, total speculation here, but it's still just, that was the call I heard while we were being pushed out of the Carp Lake trailhead last weekend. So oh, how far is I just, I, I have a hard time not correlating that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going. How far is that from your house? Carp Lake? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, that's going to be about an hour drive from where I'm at. Mm, okay. Uh, as, as the Raven flies, it's, uh, 30 ish miles, 40 ish miles. And not that we're assuming it's like the exact same group or, you know, that they, they recognize you or anything like that. I mean, it's not impossible, but I'm not going there. I just was wondering the, you know, the distance for, uh, for, for these places because, um, 30 miles is not, um, so not be a lot for a, a massive creatures, I, I think. So what? Right. I and that's, and again, you know, even that for, you know, Ray Abbey or I with our long distance running, that's kind of a, right. a, a a standard run. That's nothing crazy. So yeah, I guess I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's correlated creatures or not, but the, here's the other thing that there's where as much as I'm still haunted by the, by the eyes, 
I've also been backpacking and running around the hills and living in the hills for most of my life. And this is the only, this is the first time that I've had an encounter that cannot just be explained. And that went really weird. You know, I've had dozens of encounters with standard Montana creatures, charges by bears, stalked by lions, you know, those kind of things where uh, it's just those encounters, you know, those do not spook me like this encounter did. However, I also, I'm not going to stop living in the woods. I'm not going to, you know, I know some people sell all their guns and move back to the city and never set foot in the woods again, but I, I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, I've, I've had my whole life so far run around the hills and this is the first time something very strange happened. And, uh, I'm still inclined to, to say that as threatening as I consider us being hunted as though we were deer to be flushed at the same way, if these creatures are so good at stealth as they seem to have been in the, the incident, I think if they wanted to kill us we would be, we would have been dead. And so I just, I still have to chalk it up to curiosity more than threat. You know, even though we hiked out of there, uh, there was never anything that happened to us that, you know, we didn't have rocks chucked at us as though they were telling us get out of our territory. I would still call the behavior curious behavior. And so I just, I, I have to believe that I'm, if they've been if they've been observing me for years in the hills or other people, other neighbors, then I have to think that they're a more curious type than a threatening type. Though here here's something I have wondered since you know working for some of the neighboring family ranches, they they have collected over the years books full of photos of what always has been called wolf kills of calves and cows, especially in calving season. So having come upon those sites of, of where, uh, where one of those, one of, one of them was destroyed by what we always assumed were wolves. I do wonder now if some of the damage that I've seen or on these photos that other neighbors or ranchers have seen, I do wonder that uh, if, if what's been chalked up to being uh, wolf kills and wanton violence upon the cows, because sometimes they'll just destroy the cow, but, but not even hardly eat it. It seems like it's sport. Um, I do somewhat wonder if some of those are Bigfoot kills instead. I, I don't know. Total speculation again, but I just wonder. Are there a lot of those over the years? Yeah, it happens fairly frequently, particularly in calving season. It's part of what has led to quite an uh, ire against the introduction of the timber wolf to, uh, you know, any of the Rocky Mountain regions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, because, I mean, most people would make that assumption, right? But after going through what you did, you're kind of going, well, there may be another option here. Well, if if whatever I saw, they seem to have a physical form at least to some degree, even though I still am inclined to say that there was a, what seems to be an unexplainable multidimensional aspect to their travel. Despite that, they still seem to have a physical form and a smell, a presence. 
So I just, yeah, I wonder if some of these chalked up to wolf kills are actually whatever the creature kills instead. Prior to this incident last week, what did you think the likelihood of Bigfoot existing was? Um, I, I've been fairly skeptical. I guess I had the uh, small percentage of, I mean, I guess there could be something here, but having now listened for a, a little while to your podcast and some other cryptid podcasts, I guess I always had sort of considered people's encounters to be alleged encounters and, and not given it full credibility. And, and now being on, on this side of it, and I'm just, you know, especially talking with, say, Abby, who's convinced herself it was a bear. It's almost infuriating to, to uh, talk with her because uh, it was just a bear. And, of course, we, we don't – it's not a topic we're bringing up now at all because she just won't talk about it. But uh, now being on this side of it, I, I guess uh, – to get back to your question, um, I guess uh, maybe 10% probability that Bigfoot existed. And now after this encounter, I, I mean, I, I believe there's some kind of creature and I'm going to say it's Bigfoot from all of the stuff that went on. Uh, however, I think that still leaves so much unknown because especially considering, you know, I, they really did seem to have a, a multidimensional travel to how they moved and interacted. Um, I, I've, I just cannot. I can't get over the silence, your silence with which they traveled through this dog hair brush. Uh, you know, lions can be very silent in the, in, in the hills and in the forest, but these were not mountain lions. No way, no how. I wanted to point out the fact that it walking by you, I don't know if I've ever <clears throat> really, I'm sure they're out there. Maybe you guys can send me some after I say this, those that are listening. But of some of one of these intentionally walking by that closely to three human beings, just that and, and taking away the weirdness of it that you didn't really you didn't see it. Right. Um, just that is very interesting to me, that behavior. Yeah, and it, I didn't get the sense that anything tried to touch us. Uh, it just simply basically brushed right past us. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was a, a maneuver to get higher on the hillside or, or what. Uh, yeah, I, I still, I, I have no way to explain how that can be. How can something have passed that close to us uh, and not? And we, all we felt was the, the body heat and the body odor, but not anything else. So, and I'm trying to, picture the road itself so if you wanted to let's just you know for for giggles here just say that you wanted to walk beside abby but not closely could you have not done that like would or or would you have an option to spread out is that why if if someone or something wanted to walk right by you guys that's how close it would have to go without going up a berm or something yeah it's the road is essentially a one vehicle wide road mm -hmm. So it's just a, a standard for service route. Hmm. So it did have some um, probably so more elbow room. Uh, so it chose to walk that closely. 
Correct. Yeah. It, mm. Whatever that was, I do not believe th- th- there was no no uh, natural part of the environment forcing it to walk that close. No. Right. Gotcha. Wow. That's interesting. It's like, look what I can do. Well, you know, like showing off or something. I don't know. Or maybe just adding to the element of creep to get you guys out of there. Although you were already on the move pretty good, but I think it's probably a very good idea that all of you guys maybe tamp down, even if it was a minuscule momentary urge to run that none of you guys did, you know? Oh, I definitely think that uh, my my gut instinct is if we had panicked and run, then we would have been the quarry flushing exactly as they wanted. I think that would have turned the encounter to a wholly different situation. Uh, again, I have no way to know that, but I just think that it was the, the best move that we simply briskly packed up camp and briskly hiked out because, uh, yeah, I, I do think the threat of more was there had we flushed like deer yeah like they would have they would have seen red if you guys would have started uh running uh no pun intended (laughs) right right yeah now you're at your dad's house to grab a cell signal uh what does he say about this incident yeah so he actually (laughs) uh because i he actually lives up near the east fork reservoir he's in one of those residences near to near to this area and so uh when we left that night um ray dropped me off at my dad's and then he drove back to his house and abby drove back to her house all of us had decided we wanted to sleep indoors tonight so he the next morning when he when he comes out and i'm you know sleeping there in the living room he says oh what happened to your adventure i thought you were going to be out in the hills so I, I was actually a little bit nervous to even tell him about this at all because I was not, he, he's an engineer. He, he, well, he's retired now, but he used to work as an engineer, very mathematical mind. And I kind of figured that this would, would just be total nonsense. And um, instead he was quite receptive. Uh, he actually, he was struck by how creepy it sounded. And besides that, um, you know, he said uh, uh, that he'd always considered that there's more in the world that we do not understand than that we do, that he's very open to the idea that there's some other creatures out there that have incredible abilities in the woods. That was probably a big relief, huh? Yeah, sure it was. Yeah. Uh, and now there has been from other quarters a little bit of mocking or scoffing that Oh, so you just uh, heard a bear and and then you ran out of the woods, you know, your pansy kind of a thing. And and that's, you know, uh, honestly, I don't I don't hold that against someone, because if I was hearing my story, I probably wouldn't believe it or wouldn't want to believe it. And it's the same reason why with with Abby, I I totally understand why she is wanting to rationalize this away to something that's not kooky and not crazy. But uh, I, I, I totally get it. Uh, if I had not seen the eyes, I might be able to talk myself out of what had happened here. Last question for you. Would you rather it never mm-hmm. happened? 
I, I mean, I, I guess I never, I, I never would have thought that I would have had an encounter that I could chalk up to a Bigfoot encounter. It's, I think it's pretty incredible that, you know, here was this encounter. And again, at the end of it, despite all the creepiness and despite the doom and everything else, uh, I still think it was a very curious encounter, not a threatening one overall. The, that being so, I, I guess I'm kind of glad that it happened because now I guess I have a little more. Well, one, I can listen to someone's Bigfoot encounter now and I can say, you know what? I just believe you because I don't think you have any reason to lie about this or make a dramatic story here. And it's just, I, I now can, can hear these accounts and, and really think, you know what? I, I trust you. And uh, there's something here that we don't understand. So I think it will necessarily change how I backpack in the future and how I run in the future. I will, I think, carry with me now a much stronger tactical light with me and make sure that before I go out that it has perfectly fresh batteries. Now, maybe that won't make a difference in the future and maybe nothing like this will ever happen again. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of glad it happened because now now I've had my Bigfoot encounter and there is still kind of a wonder to it, I suppose. Again, that's with all the, the doom and creepiness of it too, but there's still a bit of a, a wonder to this. I lied. One more question. I promise. Sorry. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's fine. If your headlamp was better or you had that tactical flashlight that you just mentioned, would you really have wanted to see all the details of the face? I, I really wish I could put more of a form to these creatures. Again, having those lights, I'm not certain it would have made a difference. Um, and in fact, both Ray and I, again, I'm not, maybe it was just the, the doom of the situation that affected how we were wanting our lights to be bright. But with having fresh batteries in both of our headlamps, we both at, afterwards, looking back, have both said, my headlamp seemed to be far dimmer than it ever should have been. Mm. And um, I actually, while we were hiking out, turned mine off while Abby and Ray had theirs on because I thought, I'm going to run out of headlamp light. I'm going to run out of battery before we get out. And I don't want us to be out of light entirely. And so, again, I, have, I don't know that that had something to do with these creatures or, or abilities they have. But I, I have the. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 